fatherhood. It's how we keep our tribes and families strong. You've landed in the right place if you're ready for dad jokes, tips, and tricks on fun parenting. Also with interviews with some of the coolest dad entrepreneurs we could track down and have them share their strategies to tackling it all in business and life on The Dad Next Door. And now, your host, Mr. Dad Jokes himself, <laughs> Jason Centeno. So, Peter, tell us the story of that. Polish story of Polish Peter. So, as you can probably tell, I have an accent, right? A little bit. So, I know it's tiny little bit. It's kind of hard to tell. But I was born in Poland. I came here when I was 14 years old. Didn't speak any English. I'm still learning, I think. I don't think you can ever fully learn this language. You know, I started learning English, went to high school, went to college, got a degree in architecture, did the architecture here in Michigan. That's where I landed till about 2008. And then when 2008 came around, that kind of dried up really quickly. And um, after that, I started my own company, helping business owners and entrepreneurs kind of market themselves on the internet. So since then, I evolved this business into having my own coaching company and masterminds and things like that. And I just love helping people. One of the things that as I've been going through the masterminds and me myself being in a mastermind, I was the guy who was constantly you know, asking the right questions and poking at the other people in the group, right? Like asking those difficult questions that sometimes you don't want to ask, right? Like being this kind of a Frank. And what happened in a group that somebody called me one time, Polish Tony, a reference to Tony Robbins. And since I'm Peter, I you know, want to be my own person. I ended up being Polish Peter as opposed to Polish Tony. So that's where the Polish Peter kind of came from and just stuck with me and and now that's how I'm known around the industry and as Polish Peter. So where is that point that you went from being like maybe working a regular job and then the transition into becoming full-time entrepreneur, no, no nine to five, just going off your wits and your, you know, your creativity? Right. So what happened, like I said, it was in 2007, 2008, and that if you've been in real estate and then you time during that time, you know what happened back then, right? The crazy bubble burst. So what I saw kind of this thing coming already, like I was, something was not right, you know, because of the architecture, I see some of the uh, developments that we were doing here in Michigan started coming down and getting worse and worse and worse. And I've always felt like I had this kind of entrepreneurial bug in me for some reason. I hate to admit it, but when I was probably seven, eight years old back in Poland as a little kid, me and a couple of my friends would catch field mice and we would like paint their tails a little bit and we would sell them to tourists as like a, a guinea pig, kind of like a hour from our country for a part of the country, kind of a so like a guinea trap kind of thing. Yeah. So it was, it, I mean, that was our business. And so now that I think about it, it was bad, you know, not good, but uh, I mean, it started pretty early and I always had to kind of innovate, always had to be creative, always had to look for how to make things happen, right? And uh, so that's when that 2008 hit and gave me this kind of a jolt to actually step out because I have three kids at the time already. You know, my oldest one was five. And uh, so I had to go and step out and started doing something for that I can control myself as opposed to in somebody else's control. Make sense? That's definitely how I start. So and that's the best decision I've ever made, I think. I wouldn't go back. When I was growing up, my uncle, I lived with my uncle since the age of eight till about the age of 14 because my mom 
came to the United States and we ended up living with my and my uncle. So my uncle literally built his entire house from scratch, everything. I mean, furniture, all the walls, every single brick in this house, he basically put it together. I would hang out with him a lot and I would be in his workshops constantly watching him, how he's designing stuff, how he's developing stuff, how he literally was his own kind of little business, you know? So as I was watching him, I really got intrigued by the fact that you can create something from nothing and you can help other people because he would not only build his own house, but he would go and help other people with their houses and things like that. So if there was some kind of uh, influence on my life, I think it would be my uncle, definitely with the architecture, but more I think that I think about it. It had to do with the fact that he was always kind of being creative, always. He never gave up. He was very persistent and stuff. So I think that helped me tremendously in my own life. Because when you're an entrepreneur, guess what? You got to be persistent, right? You got to have the resilience. You got to have that drive because it's not all rosy and you're going to have to struggle sometimes. So when it comes to those kinds of dips in your entrepreneurial life, that's one that matters to be resilient and, and keep going after this, man. And I think that's where it came from. How about your kids or any of them? Do they help you in your work? My own kids? Well, my youngest, I think, is getting some of the entrepreneurial thing because right now he is going to be 14 in October. So he's 13 right now. And he started selling stuff on eBay. He's watching me, you know, doing different things and watching me in front of the camera and, and helping other people and things like that. And I always, you know, try to teach him some good ways of, you know, living and, and doing stuff in life. And he started on his own because he wanted to get himself a PlayStation by himself for his own money. So he started, you know, getting different things and start selling them on eBay and, and having this little, I think, entrepreneurial thing. So I think he's the one who's mostly going to be going that direction, I think. So what does your daily routine look like? I get up and get myself a coffee. And then for the next about hour, sometimes hour and a half, I just sit down, read something. I spend time with the Lord because I'm, I'm Christian. So I go and sit down with the Lord for a little while and just maybe read the Bible. And then I'll just be quiet for a little while just to see what happens. You know, sometimes I journal, sometimes I don't. But I really need to have that time to just for myself, right? And then... Uh, I used to, when my kids were a lot more in school, take them to school. And because I am uh, divorced, so I ended up being divorced in 2011. So that was one important thing for me to be able to go and take them to school and pick them up from school. So my work hours that I do in my business are from 10 to about 2, 3, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So during that time, I work like my hair is on fire. And I think I'm doing a pretty good job because I still got my hair. But uh, I work like my hair is on fire after I'm done with my work. Either I go pick up my kids from school or um, if I don't, then or if I, you know, after I'm done with that, I go hit the gym and just go there for about an hour and a half or so and come back home and have dinner and, and then just, you know, kind of wind down from the day and, and look to what needs to be happening for the next day. Like looking, evaluating the day at the end of the day and say, hey, what have I accomplished? What have I not accomplished? What did I want to do? What did I not get done? And then what do I need to do to tackle the next day? You know, and kind of set it up. And this is five days a week. Well, podcast is not, that's not a lot of time goes into it. I mean, I, 
do a little bit of prep before I actually interview somebody, but I have, you know, a team where they go and handle all of my podcasting. Once I, all I got to do is just show up at the Zoom, record the interview, and then I send off the thing to my team and they go and put it together, fix up the audio, video, and all that kind of stuff, write the whole blog post for me, create images and all that kind of stuff. And so that doesn't take up a lot of my time. Most of my uh, daily business stuff is based around my coaching, my mastermind, and some of the business stuff that I do for myself. So what came first, the podcast or the mastermind and the coaching and all that? A podcast came first. I started this podcast four years ago now because I truly wanted to, you know, one of the things that I do in the podcast, I interview successful immigrants, first and second generation, because I really wanted to see why is it that so many immigrants are successful, right? So as I started having those conversations with these immigrants and seeing how they're doing things, why they're doing the certain things they do, what their morning routine looks like, things like that, from that evolved into, you know, having more of the different masterminds and getting in different groups with people. And that's when the mastermind came out of that. But the reason I ask is if any of our listeners are thinking of starting a podcast and how it grows into a whole business from that, kind of what I want to identify in case somebody's out there trying to figure out well, what am I going to do with a podcast? There's two reasons why I'm doing my podcast. One is to help the people out there to see a different perspective, different way of how you can be an entrepreneurial and to make connections for people, you know? So the podcast is basically helping with the connections, getting people on the show and, and connecting with different people. It's not, I don't typically use it really to um, make money on the podcast or some people do. I don't do it. Uh, you know, the people who are doing that, they've been around for a little while and they have, you know, hundreds of thousands of listeners a lot of times and they can go and create commercials and things like that. But uh, I've monetized my podcast in a way that I get some, you know, coaching students or someone in my mastermind because of the podcast. But as far as like typically actually making money off the podcast, a lot of people are doing it. It's just not the way I've set up mine. A lot of ways to do yeah, there's it. a lot of ways, yeah. Just pick which one resonates with you the most. But at least to open a door other masterminds, other you know, potential partners. Did you find yourself partnering with the people that you interviewed in the future? Partnering like in business, you mean? Possibly doing mentoring or Do they, they become students. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there were some who ended up in my mastermind. I've, well, we went back and like they were on my show, then I went on their show. Right. Because some of them have their own podcasts. So we've done that. Maybe I used to have an agency a lot more when I did Facebook marketing for a lot of businesses. So I had an agency where I was helping business owners, Facebook ads grow their businesses. So I've gotten clients for some of these guys that were on the podcast to actually, you know, use them for their as a client. Right. But um, that's the extent of it, how far I've done with the podcast to make money on that. Truthfully, I will, I just love having conversations with people. All right. I love hearing their stories. I mean, the stories that you would hear from some of these people. I mean, one person that I think me and you know, uh, mutually, his name is Tim and he, the story that he shared or how he ended up here in the United States is short of unbelievable to me. So hearing some of these stories of what they've accomplished and how they got here and how they become very successful. It, that's what I love, just sharing that message, you know? Is that Tim Ma? Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Have you ever heard this story? 
Uh, no, not that you say that. I might have to get him on here. Oh, dude, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, it's incredible. You're literally in the middle of the night, escaped on a little fishing boat in the middle of the ocean, middle of nowhere. Like yes. there is some people in the boat. All right. So, who have you met that you wish you had met? <laughs> who had I met that I wish I've hadn't met? This might be a, a bad answer, but I don't think I wouldn't say that I've met somebody that I wish I wouldn't have met because even if the people who let's say screwed me over, right, or did me wrong or whatever, I've learned something from these people. In retrospect, I've learned, you know, for instance, like there was one gentleman who ended up being my client and at the end he didn't end up paying me money and he still owes me a lot of money. However, I could say very well say, look, he's a, you know, don't wish I would have never met him. However, I've learned a really important lesson on different humans, how they interact and how we do stuff and things like that. So I don't think there is anybody you learn from somebody all the time, I think. Got it, got it. So if you were famous, what would you be famous for? If I was famous, what would I be famous for? Well, I would say transformational kind of a coaching. Uh, one of the things that I am very good at, that I've been told I'm very good at, is being able to have a conversation with somebody and help them create some kind of a breakthrough, like dig a little bit deeper, ask the right questions and things like that. So I think I would be famous for that to help people have a breakthrough in their life, I think. Because uh, otherwise, like maybe my accent, I don't know. <laughs> like Dr. Phil? What's that? Like a Dr. Dr. Phil? Phil? Yeah, Dr. Phil, Dr. yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I want to be, you know, in the same association as Dr. Phil, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, more of like Tony Robbins, I would say. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Tony. Uh, I've been trained, you know, with his, through his uh, coaching program and things like that. So I love how he teaches and what he does and, and that methodology and things like that. So what is the worst job you could have? It would be just monotonous, like every single day for eight hours a day doing the same exact thing, like without even thinking, you know what I mean? Like just the same thing over and over and over and over again. I think this would be the worst job, whatever it might be. Uh, because I would literally, I think I would go crazy, like, because I need to have some variety. I need to have some creativity into what I do. And if I had to do this, you know, like putting it, you know, peg in a hole for eight hours straight, I think that would be the worst job ever for me. What is your favorite TV channel, television channel? TV channel? Well, I don't watch TV, either something really funny. I love watching comedy stuff. So I watch some comedians and learning from them. And, and because there is a lot of stuff that I can learn from them as far as how they present themselves on the stage. And, you know, we do events around the country. So being on the stage and being comfortable in front of people and crack a joke and make fun of yourself, I think is really important because I think people can relate to you, you know, especially with my accent. I used to hate it. I used to never liked it. So that actually helped me get out of my little shell to be able to make fun of myself and my accent and, you know, we make fun of me and, and that's all good. So I think that would probably be some kind of like a com comedic stuff. What's the thing you're most afraid of? What's the thing I'm most afraid of? I would say the thing that I'm most afraid of is, huh, that's a really good question, man. Like Sitting at the end of my life and thinking, you know what? I should have, could have, would have, should have done this, should have done that having regrets that not really allowing my fear or allowing my, you know, worrying about what may happen, stop me from doing something. 
You know what I mean? Like going back and you're at the end of your life and you're in that bed and you look back over your life and you say, man, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have went there. I wish I would have, you know, spent time, more time with my kids and things like that. That's why it's so important for me to be able to spend time with them because I don't want to have those regrets. I think though that's the most thing that I'm afraid of. So I'm always looking to see what is my vision for life. What do I want my life to look like? And constantly keep going after it to make sure that I don't have those kinds of regrets at the end of life. Okay, so to that end, what is your best, your best dad like? Huh, my best dad life is my kids can be free with me. Like they don't have to be certain way to be around dad. Does that make sense? Like they don't have to act certain way. They can just be themselves and I can go and hang out with them and I can, you know, show up at any time, you know, let's say at their house when they're older or they can show up in my house and we can just do whatever we at any time, whatever we want to do, you know, whether it's rolling around on the carpet. I mean, when they were little, we used to roll around on the carpet here, put some blankets on the floor, just they wrestle me. Now, you know, my oldest uh, girl, she's going to be 18. My middle one is 14 and the younger is 13. So now when I wrestle, especially with the middle one, I'm like, he's getting stronger. Oh, I'm like, yeah, watch out because she might knock me out. <laughs> but yeah, just be free with, you know, because I feel like a lot of times uh, from all the conversations that I've been having with some of my students, one of the questions that I ask them is whose love did you crave the most? growing up and it's usually going to be the dad or the mom you know and i ask them like whose love did you crave the most and then let's say they say it was the dad so i'll ask them the questions like who did you have to be for you dad how did you have to act how did you have to be with him who couldn't you do what couldn't you do who couldn't you be with your dad and so my goal in life is to actually not have that kind of a question being asked my kid when they grow up and they have to say, well, I had to be this certain way and I couldn't be open with my dad or I couldn't, you know, make mistakes with my dad because if I did, he would yell or he would, you know, not love me or whatever it might be. Right. So that's the kind of relationship I want to have with my kids that where they come to me and they can share anything with me and be able to impact their lives. Because especially in today's world, I think a lot of kids like teenagers right now, there is a lot of tough, different situations that they go through that if they don't have that ability to come to their parents, whether it's mom or dad, and just share what they're dealing with, what that, what's going on, it can really impact, you know, a lot of things in their life and something negatively and they start beating themselves up or, or whatever the case may be. So I just want to have that open door policy with them so they can feel fear that they can come and talk to me and anything. Teenagers are notoriously non-competitive after 14 years. Well, <clears throat> that's a good point. And, uh, you know, you do have to ask questions, right? You ask them questions, what's going on, how's it going? But I think it's more, even more important is if you want your teenagers to be straight with you, be vulnerable with you, share stuff about their life, guess what? You, the parent, whether your mom or dad, you have to be straight with them. You have to be vulnerable with them. You have to share something about yourself because, listen, I when I was growing up and I was, you know, eight, my dad was an abusive alcoholic and my mom wanted to kind of shield me from that. Even eight years old, man, I could see something was not right, you know? So kids can tell, kids can see. And if we're not being vulnerable with them, we're not sharing stuff with them, what we're going through, what we're thinking about, 
I think that is actually doesn't give them the space to be vulnerable with you. Because why should they tell you about something personal that's going on with them in life if you're not going to share with them? And I think there is this idea, especially with dads and, and men, that I can't be vulnerable because being vulnerable means I'm weak. And that might show up to my kids that way, you know, that I'm being weak. And I don't think that's the right thing to do. So I share some stuff with my kids, me growing up, what it was like for me and how I deal with things sometimes. And I think that gives them some ability to be able to share stuff with me. Whether they share everything with me, I don't know. I'm sure there is some stuff they don't tell me, but I feel like I've gotten pretty good. Either it's me or uh, my ex-wife, and they know, all of the three of them, they know that they can come to us for whatever is going on, and we're not going to you know, hate them or, or get angry or whatever because everything can be solved with some communication. So do you guys take time with the kids? Do we split time, you said? Yeah, in other words, with you half the time? How's that, like, that work for them? And do they have a problem with that? Yeah, so the way we've done it, you know, this is important, I think, because I know there is a lot of divorced parents out there, especially in today's world. And I think that it's very important for a dad or a mom, husband or ex-husband or ex-wife or whatever, to really get straight with the ex-person, meaning that they are in pretty good terms, that they talk to each other, that they communicate, they forgive each other for what has happened. Because guess what? Otherwise, if you are not having a pretty good relationship with it, when it's like both of you guys hate each other, guess who's in the middle? The kids are in the middle and they don't deserve to have to deal with that. So that was one of the most important things that I've you know, done at the beginning of the relationship is to make sure that I don't hate on their, that I don't hate her. And I tell my kids about, you know, when I go over there, drop them off, I'll go in the house and I'll say hi and then I'll talk to her and things like that. So and as far as splitting time, the way we've done it is almost like 50-50. I, you know, see him every other weekend for the whole weekend. They spend time with me and then... Every single week, there is no more than about three nights, three days that I don't see him. So there is either Monday that I see him or Thursday that I see him on depending on the weekend that I have with them. So, you know, and I talk to them. Um, I call them. We text each other. Today's kids, there are a lot more with texting, you know, so we text and things like that. And I can go over there and sometimes pick them up and go hang out and then do something fun with them. That sounds as good as it can get. Yeah. But let's you know that the most important thing is to have some kind of a relationship, good relationship with the ex, not to hate her or whatever. Because like I said, the kids are in the middle. And by the way, kids can get pretty smart. They're going to start telling you, well, mom said that I could do this. And if you're not in a good relationship with the ex, you're not going to know for sure whether or not she said that. But with my kids, they know that they can't say that because I can say, well, let's call mom. Let's go find out. And all of a sudden, <laughs> it doesn't slide, you know? So that's why it's so important because, listen, whether or not you guys are together, I think the raising the kids is together job. Both husband and you know, both man and the woman, you know what I mean? The, the wife and the husband. So, or ex-wife or an ex-husband. So I think that's important that you guys are still communicating together. I experienced that, them trying to play the parents against each other thing. And we're not separated together. 
but yeah, like, like the story does never adds up. So I can only imagine how bad it can get if the parents aren't talking and they're just like talk to the other person and the kids getting away with murder basically because they're playing parents against each other. Right. That's pretty big. Yeah. So. So is there like one question that you wish people would ask you, but they never do? Because I always, I, I'm the one who's constantly asking other people questions when I'm coaching. So somebody asks me a question, that's a little bit different conversation, huh? And if somebody asks you that question, they probably wouldn't know the answer either. <laughs> right. That's okay. So what about a question that you're tired of people asking? Well, I would say that has something to do around with my my being an immigrant is it you know hard being an immigrant and that kind of stuff around that conversation and i think it's you know because of the persona or the way that people sometimes view like well being an immigrant it's such a you know you're in what lot much worse situation or something right however i think depending on how you look at things whether you're an immigrant or not you can live in an empowered state or disempowered state as far as how you are being in life, you know, what you're doing. So when people are asking you like, hey, are you okay? Is, is this, you know, being a minger is a tough and all that kind of stuff? That just starts to go towards the end of like, like there is something wrong. Like it's not good enough. Like you need to get better or something like that. Whereas, like, man, I think it's a huge advantage of me being an immigrant. You feel like it's condescending? Based? Not so much condescending, but it's like, you know, um, like they feel like I'm a disadvantaged or something. And I used to think about that for a long time. Back in the point when I first came here and I started learning English, I felt like in a huge disadvantage. And my accent, I tried to get rid of it for a very long time until I just said, you know what? Why should I just get rid of it? Let's just go with it. So the opposite side of that is kind of funny. But I've seen people that are, you know, of another race, a different language. Mm-hmm. That people will assume that they can't speak English, and like for example, if a car, if a cop wanted to give them a ticket, or somebody wanted to tell them not to do something, and then they pretend to speak English and they join the person, but they totally know English and they're doing it because they can get away with it. So I've seen it used to advantage. Very funny. Yeah. You know what's funny? I when back in early two thousands. When I was going through college, I went and actually was working a, a part-time job on weekends. I was working in a catering restaurant where they did weddings and things like that. I was a busboy. I was a dishwasher. I was a waiter, head waiter, bartender, the whole nine yards. So when I would wait the tables and we had like Polish weddings because we had a lot of Polish weddings, I would just go in there and serve the food and just talk you know, in English normally and everything. And they would speak Polish. And sometimes they would speak Polish about me, you know, about the waiter and things like that. And I would just do my own thing. And then at the end of the dinner, I would bring him desserts and I would just say in Polish, I would say, you know, here you go. Or like, which means like, here you go. Or I would say, thank you. Like in Polish, and when you say it very clearly, you can tell whether the person is Polish or not. And all of a sudden their eyes would open like really big, like, Do we say something wrong or, <laughs> and we just laugh it off and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Latinos do that all the time. Pre- pretend uh, they don't understand what's going on. And I think every culture does it and, and they just assume. And then somebody does that trick to them and they feel yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the one thing when you assume stuff, 
90% of the time, you, the assumption becomes wrong. So the one thing I've learned being in here in this country and actually growing up and knowing what I know about human beings because I studied human psychology for a long time after I got divorced, I've learned that when you start to put expectations out and assuming things, most of the time you're going to be wrong. Just, you know, because you are reading through a filter of what people are and how they are. So sometimes, you know, when they talk about don't judge the book by the cover, sometimes the cover might not be what you think is actually happening because they feel like they need to put on this face. They need to put on this persona in the world to show up in the world. And deep down inside, they're actually a different person, you know? The book cover is one thing. They forget that the book behind it and don't even bother. They just go to that. But I understand what you're talking about. Yeah. So what's one weird thing that most people don't know about you? One weird thing that most people don't know about me? I think that I can ski backwards. I love going down the mountain skiing backwards. Uh, like, do you do it as a trick? Because um, I know like snowboarders and other people, or is it, was it a mistake that happened and you just got good at it? No, I'm just, you know, I've when I was learning skiing back in the day when I was little, I would go up on top of the mountain and just start going down the mountain with my friends and I would fall over and and sprain my knee and sometimes I'll be ended up going backwards and things like that. So because of that, I started learning different tricks and just doing, you know, whether it's sometimes going on one leg down the mountain or going backwards and kind of doing 180 and another 180 and things like that. I just love doing those kinds of little things and because I feel like I'm kind of on the edge, right? You're about to maybe wipe out, but you're like still like on the edge and you're like, you know what I mean? It gives you a little bit of that adrenaline. And uh, I think that's one really cool thing that I love about skiing and, and doing that kind of stuff. Uh, that's pretty cool. So what would you say your dad's superpower is? Sounds like psychology, you know, reading minds and kids. What would you say? I would say my dad's superpower is, like you said, the, the human psychology. Um, it evolved in the last, I want to say, five, six years because I've learned so much about human psychology. Like sometimes the kids try to put one over, whether it's me or my you know, ex-wife, and, and I can see why they're doing certain things. You know? So I can see like what's going on behind the scenes, what they're trying to do, and Sometimes it's a good thing, sometimes it's a bad thing. So I would say, and the other aspect is empathy. Um, because of how I grew up and the thing that I went through, I think I was able to develop this empathy, not only for other people, but actually with my kids. And, you know, I think that helps me as a parent to be able to see different sides of the story. Because a lot of times as parents, we look at stuff like, they're not doing something right or they're doing something wrong or they should have done this, should have done that. And when you look from the place of like empathy, all of a sudden you might seem that they might be struggling with something or they're actually tried it and they didn't do so well and they failed and we can pick them up and, and dust them off and, and have them keep going forward. So I think that's my superpower. What about getting angry with the kids? How do you handle that? That's a great question. Uh, I There's been times where I've got angry. I will tell you, actually, when they were little, I remember they were, were putting them to bed, and my ex went to a store, 
so I was just me and the kids and they keep coming out. I don't know if you, I mean, you have kids, so you know how they keep coming back out, right? They, I want to tell you another thing and another thing and another thing, right? And this is between three of them keep going in and out for the last hour. And I got really upset and I kind of like raised my voice and yelled at them to go to bed. And they all went to bed just like that, like instantaneously. However, to this day, they still bring it up, especially my oldest still brings it up that that was the day when Tata got, Tata, which is dad in Polish, got really angry. When it comes to being angry, I think I have to be conscious of that, present to that, and in that moment, catch myself that, you know what, I got to stop, I can't go do it. And then if I do do it, I got to own up to it and apologize. So listen, I got angry, this is not right. Anger is not the solution to, you know, making things happen. But sometimes I have to, you know, cool off and, and say, listen, the kids, I, I shouldn't have gotten angry. I'm sorry, I apologize. And, and one thing that I promise the next time, you know, we'll talk about it a, bit, a little bit different or attack this thing a little bit differently or talk about it a little bit differently. Because I think we're all humans, you know. They get angry sometimes too. You know, we all do. So for me, I don't think that's such a bad thing, like yelling at your kids sometimes because, well, I live in a house full of loud kids anyway. So sometimes speaking at this level, they're not going to hear you anyway. It's not great because it makes the house way noisier. But I was just curious because, um, you know, us, other people's anger manifests in different ways. Obviously. For me, that one, I'm not necessarily proud of it, but it happened. And for one, for, for better or for worse, I, I try to mitigate it as much as I can. But sometimes you got to yell at it. Because <laughs> the next thing is going to be punishment of some other kind. And sometimes a loud enough voice will break them out of their... The pattern, pattern, yeah. Without having to go there, mm -hmm. and sometimes it does. So I, I yeah. I, sometimes the way you can break that pattern too is just be really quiet. That actually uh, is a is a point too that you not enough sometimes. All of a sudden, because the pattern, there's two ways the pattern interrupt happens in two ways. One, you can interrupt how they are. You know what I mean in that moment, so they can stop or hear you or whatever the case may be. But sometimes that pattern interrupt actually can interrupt your own pattern of how you typically go to different places, right? Whether you get really angry or you yell or whatever it might be, right? So if you catch yourself and all of a sudden get really quiet, it's a different pattern. They might be wondering what's going on here, right? And so are you. Gives you a time to actually reassess the situation and, and think about it a lot clearly. Because listen, when we're angry, when we're fearful... Those kinds of things, all of your mental capacity, those neurotransmitters that are actually supposed to be in the prefrontal cortex, which all the creativity happens, goes in the back of your head, basically, to all the fight or flight area. When you're angry, the fight or flight area gets activated. And in that area, you can't think clearly. That's why a lot of times when you are in the argument with somebody, you're very angry. How many times have you gone back afterwards and you're like, man, I should have said that. Why didn't that come to me at that time, right? Like that thought, why didn't that pop in? It always usually happens afterwards that that thought pops into your head. And that's one of the reasons because of the fact that the neurotransmitters, they're working in the uh, fight or flight area as opposed to the creative area where you can think clearly. So that interrupting the pattern sometimes helps to be able to go and get that creativity flowing again. Yeah, keep them guessing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, keep them guessing, yep. Keep you on because your they were like, what's he up to, right? Yeah. 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 
that quiet thing is like, oh, something's coming. And yeah. so the, the threat of um, the, of the unknown sometimes gets in their head, gets you, that breaks you down the most, what you struggle with the most is that. And I have to be very careful about that, is that when in some shape or form, either they say it or do it, where they tell me that I am a horrible person or horrible dad or something like that, where it's like, you know, that fear of not being good enough pops up a lot of times when it comes to being a dad. Because for me, up until eight years old, I didn't really have a dad. My dad was, you know, alcoholic, abusive. He was never home. So I never really had a father figure for my whole entire life. I always kind of looked for a father figure. My uncle for those, you know, eight to 14 was a father figure, but I never really knew how to do that. So I, it starts to go after me and like, am I actually good enough dad? Which I think all dads think about that. Because from my own conversations with a lot of the different students that I've had, a lot of them still think, and same thing with moms. They think, am I good enough mom? Am I good enough dad? right? For my kids. However, um, you do the best you can do at any time. So you got to constantly keep going back to the fact that, you know, you have some experience and whatever you can do, you're doing it the best way you can do it. So, so how do you handle that for yourself right now? What do you go to get that out of your So in my head, the way I handle that is depending on the situation, because if it's a argument kind of a situation, I know that in that moment, they're trying to get to me kind of thing, right? So that's not the truth. It's just something that they talk about. So I'm like using it as a different filter that I take. And I don't take it on like very personally, right? I'm not getting defensive because that used to be a big problem. So I look at it in my mind, I look at it as they're not attacking me or they're not saying something bad about me. They're saying something about this thing that's next to us, between both of us, whatever it might be, that we're trying to both solve. So I literally think about whatever. Let's say they screwed something up. They didn't do their homework, for instance, right? So that thing we're trying to solve is the homework that's between both of us as opposed to something that's very personal, like it's an attack on me. And when I put that out of my mind and put it, it's something that we're both trying to figure out, all of a sudden I can be looking at it from a different angle and not get defensive, not get personal, not get whatever it was before. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's about the situation and not the person. So you just think about, okay, it's about this, not about other stuff. Again, if you distill it down to a situational thing and not a personal thing, and in emotions, that's very hard. Yeah. Uh, that's the only way you can handle it. And the other thing that I've learned over the years is how emotions are created. It's, you know, there is a specific sequence that happens within us that creates that emotion whether it's sadness or happiness, joy or anger or whatever. So because of that, I know that I can not go there because I need to switch my meaning. A lot of the times, the reason why we are angry is because certain thoughts occurred in our head and we create a meaning around that thought, what it means, what this thought means, where somebody says something, what does that mean? And that's what triggers the stuff in our brain to send a chemical in our body to say, hey, this is a bad thought. The meaning is bad, so we need to create a bad emotion, like an anger or sadness or whatever it might be. Whereas if somebody, let's say, says something really nice to you, and that means really nice things about you, all of a sudden that the signals that your brain sends is this is a good emotion, right? 
So we got to make sure that we send a good, happy chemicals and all that kind of stuff in your brain. So by knowing that, I constantly look and what kind of a meaning am I making up about the situation? My kids are angry. What kind of a meaning am I making up about it? Because if I'm making a meaning that it's something bad, something bad about me or whatever it might be, it's not going to go over very well. So I always look for creating something that's about this thing and how we can actually solve it together. My go-to is let's go have some ice cream. <laughs> that usually solves all problems. <laughs> there you go. That's right. That's another, yeah. Ice cream is good. So what is your best piece of advice that you would offer other dad entrepreneurs that may be in the beginning of their journey, kind of like when you started with the podcast and trying to build it into something else? Or just in general, life advice for a dad trying to balance out family life and business life. That's a great question, man. So the one piece of advice I will give him is this. Uh, one of the things that I do with all my students and help them create a powerful why for their life, not just the business, but their entire life. Why do they do what they do? And the why that I've created for myself is the reason why I do everything that I do is because I need, I'm sending an example for my kids. What's it like to be the right dad, the right husband, the right boyfriend, the right man? right? And I always look from that perspective as I'm showing up in my kids. Sometimes I, I'll fail at it. But my best piece of advice is to create that why for yourself that's going to empower you or setting the right example for your kids. Because guess what? They're watching you. What are you doing on a personal level in the household when you show up home and you are you know, doing dinner with them or you are going and working 24-7? and you're not there, you're always setting an example of what they're going to do when they grow up. Because a lot of times, if you think about it, you see people ask about you know, um, growing up and things like that, people who are older. And a lot of times they'll say, hey, I'm pretty much sort of like my dad or like my mom. But guess what? Because they learn by the example from the two most influential people in their life. So remember that you're always setting an example for them. So look for yourself, what kind of example do I want them to be? When they're my age, when they grow up to that, do I want them to do stuff the way I'm doing right now or do you want them to do differently? Whether that's going to happen or not, I don't know. But if you're setting the example, it's going to be pretty close to what it might be. Have you ever heard someone with a why? What if what if somebody's why kids can't relate to Like, is that important? Or if, if anybody can relate to it? Have you ever come across that when you know been talking to people about that kind of stuff? Well, I think everybody has some kind of a why, you know what I mean, for what they do, especially when they're doing stuff that they're really passionate about or they're really doing something like they're going after it, right? Some people might be money is their why, you know? Some people is about the family, like I just said. Some people, it's they want to have a bigger impact. Like, for instance, Steve Jobs, I think, had a why of impacting the world in a completely different way when it comes to communication, you know, and that's what drove him to create the iPhone. And so you got to be, have a why that's going to push you, that's going to pull you, that's going to empower you, you know, it's going to excite you to get after it because guess what? A lot of times, whether it's an entrepreneurial journey or being a parent, there is going to be a valley. There's going to be things where life is not working like you thought it was going to be. It's going to be tough times, and that's why is one that's going to pull you through 
that low value. That's what's going to get you through it. Listen, watch what the why is. I typically ask the questions, my students, when I help them develop the why, I'll ask them why they want it. Why is it important to them like five layers deep, five, six layers deep, and ultimately get to the real reason why you want something. Got it. So it's like, why do you want that? I need more money. Why do you need more money? Because I need to tell my family. Like you, you think why is that important to you, right? Uh, and all that kind of stuff. And you pretty quickly, you get down to the real. When it t- hits your heart, when it touches your heart, that's when you know you got your why. When it's just, you know, in the head, that's a little bit kind of on the surface. When it touches your heart, you see the emotion in a person. Now you're getting somewhere. You mentioned you were in masterminds. Now, are you in them? Do you participate in them? Do you create them? Or do you do both? Talk to me about both. So masterminds, for those of you who are not familiar, mine are a little bit different. The ones I'm, uh, that I created is I bring people together and we do these mastermind meetings three times a year in a country. And let's say there's 20 people that come into the room and we all sit together and every single person has their own hot seat. So they get up and for the next hour, they talk about what's really important to them. And the entire group, the mastermind, so if there's 20 people in the room, there's actually 21 minds in the room because there is the, every single person has their own mind and then there's a collective mind that happens out of everybody. And they pour into that person for the next hour. So the masterminds are so powerful. If you are looking to be successful and I don't care what you're going after in life, I think mastermind is so important because you only have a limited vision of and view of what you think you need to be doing or how you need to do business or you're being a dad and all that kind of stuff. And my masterminds, what I developed is both on business and life. So we talk about business in there. We talk about being a dad. We talk about being a husband and a wife and a kid and a husband and and all kinds of stuff, right? Not only do we tackle the business problems, but we tackle marriage problems. We tackle... um, you know, kid problems. I've had conversations with people where, let's say their um, daughter or son were suicidal. I've had discussions with people where, you know, wife said, I want a divorce or husband said, I want a divorce. So that's why it's so important to plug yourself into those kinds of masterminds to be able to go and be able to have the safe place. That's what one important ingredient of this has got to be a safe place. So the people who are in that room are sharing themselves and they feel like they can share and not be judged about what they're sharing. Because we all pretty much on a basic level, we're human beings, you know, we're not that much different. So that's once you get those ingredients in, amazing things happen in that room. I mean, I could tell you hours of different stories of people who have set some tremendous breakthroughs. So that's how I operate them. And I mean, few of them myself as well. What's the biggest thing that the masterminds have done for you? Um, the biggest thing that helped me, well, <coughs> one, helped me get out of my own head. Basically, because, you know, f- find out why that way, why am I the way that I am? Back then, you know, when I got divorced, uh, I went into the mastermind. And in the mastermind, I found out why is it that I actually got divorced, what caused it, and how I can actually translate um, that to be actually empowering to me to actually help others. 
And the other aspect that has helped me is the mastermind that I'm in. Um, about four years ago, my daughter, my oldest daughter, was going through some really, really tough times. And this is a Christian mastermind. And I will tell you, I started, I went to that particular mastermind meeting and I got up in my time and I was going to talk about business because I needed to figure something out about my business in that particular time. And about two sentences in, I'm like, you know what? I need to talk about my daughter. And I started talking about what's going on with her and my heart just broke and, and you know, got emotional and everything. And the entire group literally came around as one. They actually prayed in the room with me because they're Christians as well. It's a Christian kind of a mastermind. And I, it's priceless to what happened in that tournament. And my daughter has now transformed. She's a completely happy person, and I love it. And it was probably the biggest gift I could ever get uh, out of that mastermind. Even though you have a background in psychology and you understand what's going on, that doesn't make you smart enough to handle it. Oh, yeah. There is. Because listen, we all have these filters, right? We all have these ways of looking at life. So, and the thing is, you inside your brain, you have this thing called RIS, reticular activating system. And what that thing does, it limits how much information you can actually take in from the outside world. Because if you think about it, even right now, there is probably 50,000 things that are going on right now that if your brain, your conscious brain was trying to take all of it at the same time, you would go nuts. So that reticular activating system is actually helping you to not be overwhelmed in life. So the reason why that matters is because when you get into the room, mastermind, and talk with other people, all of a sudden their RIS is acting differently than mine and they can see something differently than I see. You know, I will tell you this, my podcast in one of my mastermind meetings, when I was first starting to create my podcast, I was racking my brain of what kind of a podcast it would be. I could not figure it out. I was like, what am I going to do on my podcast? And one of the people in the group said, well, listen, why don't you, since you're an immigrant, why don't you interview immigrants? I go, what a novel idea. Who would have thunk, right? But that never came to me. That other person just like that because he has a different perspective and different view of life. So, yeah, I'm not, listen, I'm not the smartest man in the room. I will tell you this. That's for sure. And then your room. And if I ever get to a room where I feel like I'm the smartest person, I need to check myself out. But that what you said right there is the thing that is so simple for someone else to see that is right in front of your face that you can't see it. And it could take you so long, like one of those, you know, shortcut it right away and basically change your life. Exactly. Right. How do you want to leave your mark in the world? How do I want to leave my mark in the world? Well, I want to, you know, one of the things few years ago, I got into this mission of having a, a conversation with somebody having an impact on their life. In that single conversation, me having say something to them or ask the right question or whatever, that's going to have a profound impact on life. So the way I want to leave this earth is I want to impact as many people as I can when it comes to their own life. Because I think a lot of times, especially in today's world, a lot of people feel disempowered. A lot of people feel like they, they're not good enough or whatever it is that their story that they have that brings them down. 
I want to leave the mark knowing to people that, listen, you are good enough. You are a freaking rock star. There is a superpower in every single one of people in the world. There is a superpower in you and me and everyone. Use that to your advantage. Don't let the knife, the life knock you down or let somebody else tell you that you're not good enough or you should do this or you couldn't do this or you couldn't do that. And when I get to, you know, maybe impact one time uh, a person that I had, there was a girl I had a conversation with her and she told me afterwards I saved her life. I don't know how, but she told me that this conversation saved her life. That's the kind of impact I want to leave at the end of the world. You know, other people have told me that I said something to them that to me was almost nonchalant. They told me similar things like they were either going to do something to harm themselves or somebody else. Yeah. And if it wasn't for me, that's exactly what would happen. Yeah. Words have power, you know? So Indeed. we got to be very conscious of what we say and how we say things. True that. What is a lazy person's favorite exercise? I don't know. Tell me. Diddly squats. <laughs> Diddly squats. Probably a whole workout program for my son right there. That's about what he does. Every day. <laughs> That's right. I love this podcast, man. I love that you did this podcast, The Dad Next Door, because that's what ultimately comes down to for all us, man. And uh, OneConversationAway.com is a website that I created to allow helping people to have those kinds of conversations. I've had someone had conversations with me that had left an impact on me, and I want to give back to the others. There is no obligation. There is no cost. It doesn't cost you anything. Uh, so you just head over to the website, one conversation away, one meaning the number one, conversationaway.com. There's a short form on there. You just need to fill out the form so I know what you want to talk about and the little questions about so I can learn more about you. And then we schedule a call on my calendar. And uh, typically it happens on Thursdays at one o'clock. And we just have like a half an hour or an hour conversation. And I will tell you that from the people who have had conversation with me so far, They've had, they left saying that was a great conversation, left an impact. They got, maybe got some kind of breakthrough out of it. So just head over to oneconversationaway.com. No obligation, nothing. I just want to give back to the world. So who's this for? People looking for guidance, like life coaching? Like who would be the best fit for this kind of thing? These are, this is for people when they're dealing something with life and they don't know how to break through to the next level. Someone who, whether it's an entrepreneur, mostly it's entrepreneurs that come to me who are starting a business or have a business. But if you are dealing something with life and it's been on your mind, you're trying to figure out how to do this and what is the problem and you can't figure it out, that's the kind of conversation I help them with. What if someone knows an immigrant entrepreneur who's obviously struggling, but they don't want to talk about it because you know they want to make their way, they don't want to help from anybody, this be a good website for that guy. That would be a perfect website. Yep. That's exactly it. A lot of times, listen, a lot of entrepreneurs feel like they have to do it all on their own because if they don't do it all on their own, they don't succeed on their own. That means that they weren't all that good, right? Entrepreneurship is a team sport. Business is a team sport. That's when you got to show up there and ask that conversation. Okay, perfect. Because if you're not wanting to do it with somebody else, there is a reason something up here it's keeping you stuck in the way of not being able to grow. Hey, all you entrepreneurs and dadpreneurs. I just wanted to say thanks for listening. Be sure to check out the YouTube channel for past episodes. Show me some love on Facebook and Instagram. 
And if you really want to be a guest on my show, no problem. Just email the dadnextdoortv at gmail.com and we'll take care of you. All the information you need is on the show notes of this episode. This is Jason, a.k.a. The Dad Next Door, signing out. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.